Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh, and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. We're staying strong through hump day with a packed episode. We have a great interview with CBS writer Kyle Boone to discuss Oklahoma State's punishment from the NCAA and what that means for top recruit Cade Cunningham, as well as other schools who may receive punishments. The NBA is polishing up their schedule to return. The MLB may finally be getting closer to a deal. Fight Island is actually real, and Dana gave us a date. And then finally, we step into the Degenerates' Den, prepping everyone for the first PGA tournament since coronavirus. Uh, stay with us through this episode, obviously. I'm on vacation and uh, having to do a lot of this remotely. So uh, thanks for thanks for supporting us through this time and staying strong with us. Uh, make sure you stay plugged in to our social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Burst Your Bubble. We're available everywhere you get your podcast. Guys, you can even get us on your Alexa devices. If you're bored at home, just say, Alexa, play Burst Your Bubble podcast. Then remember to rate, review, and share us with your friends or literally anyone you know. Thanks for listening, and remember, no hard feelings, because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Well, Kyler, it is Wednesday. It is hump day. I'm uh, brought to you out here outside of uh, Becca's great aunt and uncle's house in Glencoe, Maryland. I'm, uh, as everyone knows, I'm on vacation this week, so I'm I didn't want to wake anybody up. We're recording this at midnight my time, so wanted to uh, you know make sure everybody was staying awake. It was a uh, long day of travel, long day of driving. Once we got to Baltimore, so it's a uh, it's a it's a good way to start out the vacation. Yep, beach house in Maryland, sitting outside. Very generous of you not to wake anybody. Uh, so, what's on the agenda for the week? For the weekend, I should say. Well, for the week and the weekend, uh, we're going to. So right now, this house isn't uh, at the beach. This house is uh, set kind of in the country, uh, right beside an old, or I guess it's still in session, a school that has like an equestrian school. So a bunch of horses, cattle running around here. I've already seen like six deer walk across the uh, driveway. Um, so tomorrow we're going to get up, or I should say today, uh, we're going to get up and head to Avalon, New Jersey, and we're going to go to the beach. And that's where we will stay until probably Monday before we head back. Uh, to stay in a hotel to get our flight on Tuesday. Uh, the biggest excursion that we have planned so far is we're going on a chartered fishing boat on Saturday morning from 8 to noon. We're going to see if we can't catch us a monster. Oh, I imagine you'll be able to. And when you're in uh, New Jersey tomorrow, you'll have to hit up front of the program, Diane Rossini, see if she let she be done for an in-person interview. Maybe she wanted to go fishing with me and Becca. Hey, they're even better. Well, man, what do you have going on this week? Uh, don't, doesn't your, uh, your fun start? Yeah, man, I've uh, I've actually got a job. I'm headed to Tulsa tomorrow or today, this evening. I'm gonna be there until Sunday evening. So really looking forward to that. It's gonna be a really fun weekend. Uh, ramping up baseball showcase, baseball season. Uh, it's gonna be a really fun time doing all the social media for that. So really looking forward to that, Josh. Um, if you don't have anything else, we'll get into some headlines. Absolutely. Where do you want to start? So let's start with some baseball. Uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association is proposing an 89 game season that would pay players their full prorated salaries. Um, this, of course, is coming uh, in counter to the Monday morning proposal from the owners that called for a 76-game season and players taking um, an additional pay cut on top of the prorated salary, so about 50% of their salaries guaranteed, and plus an additional 25% if the postseason was completed. Um, so that's, of course, I just said was countered today with uh, the players still not budging. They want their full salaries. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what plays out, Josh. But I think we're getting really close to about the number of games they want. Uh, I think 89 games right in there is the sweet spot. Um, 82, I think, is where we're going to end up at, or 81. Uh, so it's just all going to come down to whether or not we see full prorated salaries or will the players budge and take the pay cuts. That's exactly the question. Are they going to budge? And exactly what you just said and kind of even what uh, we talked about with David Samson last week, uh, the two latest proposals, you look at 76 games, no prorated salary, and then or you get paid for like 56 games out of the 76. And then at 89, half of that right in the middle is 82.5. So you're still right there at 82 games being the sweet spot. So I think that that's exactly what it's going to come down to. But the big question mark on this is those prorated salaries. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, when this deal needs to get done, when do we need to have uh, players back in and – Obviously, the sooner the better if the MLB wants a legit chance at 
uh, giving everyone some confidence into this. If they can come up with a deal here, I think it is going to help their negotiation and their bargaining for uh, the next collective bargaining agreement. I definitely agree with that. Um, so this this proposal has the regular season starting on July 10th. So that's a month from today. So I think a, this deal would have to be accepted by the end of this week, I'd imagine, for players to get um, in spring training, get get ready, get uh, get to their respective markets or get to wherever they're going to play these games. Um, so that would start July 10th and end October 11th, which would keep baseball's postseason from overlapping with the final games of the NBA Finals. And that'd be very important for a number of viewers that they could draw and just kind of a, a good timeline with all these sports trying to keep each other in mind. They don't want to pull fans away and uh, everyone wants to make as much money as they can from these TV deals. Well, I mean, it's really just come down to, I mean, we've talked about it, Josh. We've, we've nailed it over and over. Baseball's fumbled this. They fumbled the bag. They had the perfect opportunity to, to dominate sports, to dominate headlines, to unite America, uh, not necessarily with everything going on uh, with race and everything, but especially with Corona, just get, get something, get live sports on, on American television. And they fumbled this. And now they realize that the PGA tour is coming back this weekend. Uh, you know, basketball is going to beat them to it. Hell college, college football might even beat them to it. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what baseball is going to do to, uh, to really try and include the viewers, include the fans in this. Uh, if they get the season, even ramp back up. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned that uh, basketball might even, or the NBA is going to beat them to it. Uh, do you have a, a breakdown, uh, any more of a better schedule lined up? I do, Josh. Let's get into it. So all international players have either started their quarantine um, and they will charter back on the 15th, uh, private plane, or they have already returned to their respective markets. So guys like Luka Doncic, uh, he's already returned to Dallas, but his teammate Maxi Kleber um, is still in his respective market. Um, out of the U.S. So it's going to be interesting to see how the players combat that. But we will see all, all international players back in their respective markets by the end of this week. Um, the 21st, all players report. That's June 21st. So all players will report at their respective markets that day. June 22nd, Josh, this is the date I want to talk about. Testing begins. Um, corona, coronavirus testing begins. And also, Josh, something we talked about in a previous episode, roster transactions will begin on this day. So when is the uh, date for the first regular season game? So we'll get to that in just a second, but I wanted to stay here for just one. Uh, so one significant thing about this, Josh, the testing schedule is going to be very regimented um, in, in Orlando, in the bubble. All players and coaches, all media, anybody in that bubble will be tested daily, it seems like. Um, and if anybody does become uh, – does test positive for whatever reason – uh, I, like we laid out, Josh, um, a lot like the uh, – I think it was La Liga that did it. You know, they quarantined everybody with a lot of time to spare before they started the regular season back. So they had all the positive tests out of the way before the season started. I think that's what the NBA is going to do here. I don't see any tests, positive tests coming up during the playoffs. I think that would just be too big of an impact. Uh, but we will still see uh, players and coaches, training staff, everyone tested pretty much every night in Orlando. Uh, and Josh, one more significant thing about this, and I think you'll like this. Uh, if J.R. Smith plays this right, he has himself a $20 million collusion case settlement teed up, ready to go. You want me to lay it out for you? Absolutely. All right. So the NBA, this is from Shams. The NBA has suspended tests for recreational drugs. So when the season uh, begins back, on, or when the testing begins back on June 22nd, they will test for uh, PEDs, for, for performance-enhancing drugs, growth hormones, stuff like that. They will not be testing for recreational drugs. Um, and, Josh, who would benefit most notably from this? Absolutely, J.R. Smith. And who's not allowed to play because of the stupid two-way contract rule? J.R. Smith. I'm telling you, Josh, any good lawyer, any good lawyer is going to hear this pod and he's going to reach out to J.R. because he knows he's got a $5 million cut from that $50 million settlement. Absolutely. Wow. And, uh, you know, uh, J.R. Smith is the kind of guy where, you know, you might want to include him in something of this or he might just go and just beat the hell out of you. Yeah, he can. I mean, that's a good thing. He could, you know, watch the parking garage and then come out for the second half of practice. I mean, he's perfect. J.R. Smith deserves that. He needs to be on a team. And even more than that, Jamal Crawford should have already been picked up before this to get on to get put on one of these teams. That makes me so mad. But yeah. uh, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was agreeing with you. I put that on, I put that on Twitter earlier uh, about Jamal Crawford and J.R. Smith. This is such a stupid rule. I mean, these are the games that matter the most, and these are guys that have the reps. So you're going to be – the NBA is just – I don't want to say just allowing guys because they have earned the spots. But I, I kind of feel like – I don't want to say they're blackballed because of everything going on with Kaepernick, but I, I, I feel like they're a little blackballed from, from the postseason in this. Yeah, this is a time where people get moved around, people get added. You know, this is Jamal Crawford, J.R. Smith, those kinds of guys, the veteran presence get added in the playoffs. This is where those guys are have the ability to shine and help teams out. It's 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 tough. It's very tough. I, I've been rooting for Jamal Crawford to the Lakers this entire year, right before the postseason, give him a chance to, you know, step in, help LeBron win that ring. But I guess we'll have to wait till next year. But I want to get into uh, the, the schedule a little bit. The reason I asked uh, when the first regular season game or first seed game was going to be um, was I was wondering what that gap was between the test, the first test date and the first game. All right, so let's get to it. So June 22nd is that testing date. June 30th, uh, training camps begin in their respective cities. So teams like uh, noted, most notably Brooklyn and Toronto will uh, – so I've heard they're go- they're going to uh, travel to Orlando and set up in Orlando late June because you know it's, it's obviously going to be very tough for them to set up in their in their own respective markets. So I've heard they're going to get a head start in the bubble. But July seventh is when tra- when teams will travel to Orlando. Um, basically, in a three day span, all twenty two teams will arrive there um, just to kind of you know space out the arrival of the team so everyone's not getting there at once. Uh, and then July 31st is the first seeding game. Oh, so they've got a, over a full month. Mm-hmm. Well, that is, that is fantastic. That is, see, once again, NBA knows exactly what they're doing, and they have it set up in a way that's going to work. The biggest challenge that uh, Toronto is going to face is the players who are currently in the U.S. Go, traveling back to Canada and have to quarantine for 14 days and then get with a team and then go through everything else. So they're going to have to get players back kind of quick to be able to get them uh, back into the, to the routine and get things going. So, uh, so Toronto, uh, they're going to be hosting their training camp in Orlando. Okay, so, they're all, so even if they're in the U.S., they'll just go straight to Orlando. They won't have to go to Toronto. Yeah, Toronto and, uh, Toronto and Brooklyn, they're, they're going to, on June 30th, I'm hearing they're, they're telling all, all players – uh, I'm sorry, June 21st, they're telling all players to report to Orlando. That's where they're having uh, – that's where they're, basically their team facilities is going to be. Well, perfect. That makes it even better. I love it. Um, the NBA is leaps and bounds ahead of, of leagues like the MLB in getting this back for us, for the fans, for the players to, to crown a champion. You're exactly right. But uh, I'll tell you what, somebody who hasn't stepped away in this time, somebody who has continued to deliver uh, – championship fights and that's Dana White and he has delivered again Josh Fight Island is coming he's talked about it and talked about it and here we are we're finally here July 11th 15th 18th and 25th Fight Island in Abu Dhabi Abu Dhabi I'm sorry Uh, and Josh I don't know if you actually saw the picture of it um, of the Google Maps it's more of a peninsula yeah, I, I got to see some of the, the pictures of it today uh, while Becca was driving. And it really is. But, I mean, I can see why he would call it Fight Island. Uh, but, yeah, it is kind of like a peninsula. So, I mean, and apparently it is technically an island. But, I mean, hey, I, I'm an optics guy, and I, that's no island. It's all about perception. But I'm, I'm super pumped for UFC 251. That's going to be uh, – July 11th show, that's going to be an absolutely blockbuster pay-per-view event. I can't imagine how many uh, pay-per-view buys that's going to get. And most notably because it's uh, headlined by three title fights, including Kamaru Usman uh, defending his welterweight title. And that is an absolute stacked welterweight division. I can't wait for that fight against Gilbert Burns. So have they talked about whether or not they're going to let fans in attendance for this? Ooh, I wouldn't think so, no. Maybe, though. Well, I, I didn't know since, you know, it's I don't know exactly uh, what country or territory this fight's going to happen in, so I didn't know the rules uh, or regulations on that. Because if, if you could bring somebody in to, uh, to get VIP tickets to Fight Island, I just see money all over the place for this. 
Oh, yeah, we laid it out. I think we laid it out again. Uh, if you could just sell, you know, one ticket per section in like the NFL and NBA games and just sell like a VIP section ticket. Yeah, it would. Yeah, you'd have just stars in every every section just yelling at yelling at each other from across yeah, the state. Limit capacity to twenty five percent, and then you just have rich people going and throwing money at this. They can make a ton of money off of this. Yeah, speaking of money, Dana White is never the one to turn down a dollar. And uh, yeah, if he can have fans, Josh, he's going to fill up as many fans he can in there because they're going to buy tickets, they're going to buy beer, they're going to buy nachos, and that's all money straight into Dana White's pocket. And speaking of money and Dana White, I don't know if you saw this, Josh. Uh, so his fight with Dan Levitard, it caught a little bit of steam. Um, he went on Sports Center. I think we talked about his uh, Sports Center appearance on Monday show, didn't we? Uh, yeah, with Halle Berry. Yeah, with Halle Berry. She just didn't say anything. She had no idea who Dan Levitard was, by the way. No, absolutely not. But it was just, it was a power move by Dana White just for calling someone out, having Halle Berry on the phone. He was acting like a real hard ass, trying to be cool in front of Halle Berry. So, uh, so the funny thing is, is that. Uh, this whole thing is this started with Dan Levitard actually calling out Dana White for not for not paying his fighters correctly, for underpaying his fighters historically. Um, guys like Jorge Masvidal, guys like John Jones, the fighters we want to see. Uh, Dana White is we, we're not seeing them because they're holding out because Dana White's um, not paying them enough uh, because according to them. So uh, that's that's Dan Levitard's main main uh, feud with Dana White, and so. Dana came out and basically challenged him to a fight and said, uh, and on that sports center, he said that he would donate $250,000 to any charity uh, if Dan would do this. And then Dan came on his, on his radio show, Josh, the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gotts. And he said that $250,000 would only get him to the weigh-in. No way. He said, he said, this is exactly what the hell you do with your fighters. I'm not some fighter. He said, I can go retire just like you can, Dana. I've got the FU money, and I'm not going to fold under your $250,000 offer. That's going to get me to the weigh-in. We're going to create a show on it. Like, it's going to – $250,000, that gets me to the weigh-in. But then he countered by saying that uh, this is – you know, this all started about the fighters. This is about the fighters getting their money. And he said, you know what, Dana, if you pay John Jones and if you pay Jorge Masvidal and we see them fight, I'll fight you for free. I love it. Doubling down on, on his statement, calling him out. Do you think that Dana calls the bluff? Or, I mean, do you think he pays the players? No. Uh, Dana is, will be much quicker to pay $10 million to Dan Levitard's charity before he pays that money to John Jones or Jorge Masvidal. Uh, I think we will see them in the, in the octagon this year, both of them in the octagon this year before 2020 is over. But I, um, I, I'm not too sure about the Levitard versus White. Yeah, uh, that one is kind of a pipe dream. It would be uh, very entertaining to watch. But it also is very – it's very intriguing to see how Dana responds to this. This, is gonna, this has been a fun back and forth between these two. So I'm excited for the next round. Me too. Yeah, I'm ready for the next verbal exchange. Uh, and speaking of the um, non-verbal exchange, some uh, actual exchanges, um, that July 11th show, it is also going to feature the two other title fights, really two guys that I really like fighting in the featherweight division. Uh, Max Holloway, he's going to try and take, he's going to try and take down Alexander Volkanovsky. I think is how you pronounce that. It's a rematch of the 2019 fight. That was incredible. Uh, Max Holloway should have walked away with the win there. I think he will on July 11th. And then uh, one of the all-time greats, Jose Aldo, the 145-pound king. Uh, he's going he's gonna to be trying to win the vacant Bantamweight title. So uh, really looking forward to that, that pay-per-view. So we can talk about money going around or not going around, I guess I should say, uh, with Minnesota running back Dalvin Cook planning a holdout from the team uh, because he's not getting paid. Exactly what we were just talking about there. So he has one year left on his deal to make $1.3 million. And you look at Kirk Cousins, who just got an extension getting $30 million per season. So Dalvin Cook uh, is feeling, some, feeling slighted by the team. He is, uh, he is not going to participate with any team activities. Um, he is done with the offseason program. He is done with everything until the Vikings are going to pay him a reasonable amount of money. Uh, David Johnson is getting paid $13 million next year, um, and Cook wants to match that, if not surpass it. Um, from what I'm hearing, he's, he's been asking for that $13 million, uh, but the Vikings have just been unwilling to meet that price. And it's partly because I, 
you know, they don't have the money to pay him uh, with all the other signings that they have. And it's going to be whether or not they value him enough and if his services are going to be able to outlast what they need. Yeah, I, well, I think uh, whether or not, you know, guys should hold out and pay the player this, you know, before his contract is due, I think it's a, a case-by-case basis. And in this case, uh, the Vikings have to pay him. Because uh, I, I think Dalvin Cook will no doubt not play this season. He will no doubt sit out this entire season before he plays for the Minnesota Vikings for $1 million. Absolutely he will. He, if there's a chance he's not going to get paid, he's not going to play. And that's the thing. Do you trust Madison to – take you to the playoffs. Do you trust Madison to be the one? Uh, Madison and Mike Boone as a duo, do you trust him enough to, to get you where you want as a football team this year? Or are you going to pay Dalvin Cook what he probably deserves? And there's a big argument to be made against him getting paid and the fact that he was injured his first season and he's kind of been working back from that. But his stats last year show how much of an elite running back he can be. Um, and he's been doing it at a very cheap price in that rookie contract. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I think the Vikings should definitely pay him, and I think they will. I think, uh, you know, obviously losing Diggs, and they 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 want uh, they're going to want Cousins to be as comfortable as possible, and the only way to do that is to give him his running back. And uh, coming off a of a year where Dalvin Cook didn't play the entire year, he, I mean, this is the perfect year for him to come back and really dominate off a of, off a healthy off season. So something, another NFL story I've got: this coach is looking for another cop out. Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy with the Chicago Bears. So a couple weeks ago, I told you the story about he figured out what their problem was. And that was he didn't let the starters play in the preseason games. Mm-hmm. Now he's and all I, I know all he's doing is looking for an out whenever the team doesn't perform well or if they don't perform well. I won't say that they won't because I hope that they do. I don't want bad on anyone. But if the Chicago Bears don't perform well. Put it on this podcast right now. Put it on the history mark, the history books, that Matt Nagy will blame it on ending off-season training programs early. They just, He came out and said no that doubt. he was going to end off-season training programs right now, that they felt confident where they were as a team. They were ready to let the guys go train. Huge red flag. This is a mistake. You have to keep training. Like, you were – you did awful last season. You did not get the ball down the field further than eight yards at a time ever. Yeah, and that's the thing. If Matt Nagy is confident about anything, uh, huge red flag. So whatever he's thinking in that moment, uh, whatever he's super confident about, yeah, this is, this is absolutely the plan. This is what we're thinking in the moment. I think somebody should be there just to undermine him. Absolutely. So I feel so bad for, for Big Cat and the fans out there, but, you know, you've got to think that he's just doing it to save himself. Yeah, I mean – those Barstool Chicago guys, they're going to be in some real trouble. Uh, but hopefully, you know, that maybe might open the lane for Barstool Oklahoma. Or we can just transition everyone to Burster Bubble Pod. Well, that's already in the works, Josh. Uh, so we're definitely looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to this interview right now with Kyle Boone. We have him on to talk about the OSU scandal that came down this past week. Uh, obviously, the postseason ban. And uh, so we talk about Cade Cunningham, Cade Cunningham, all his options, and what the Oklahoma State Cowboys are looking forward to this next season. Uh, But first, Josh, tell the people about Anchor. Kyler, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. On with us today, a very special friend of the program, Kyle Boone, writer for CBS Sports. Kyle, how are you today? Hey, I'm well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yep, thanks for coming on. So uh, we're here to talk today about the punishment, a one-year postseason ban given to Oklahoma State. Uh, So first of all, let's just start with the punishment itself. What's it for exactly? The punishment is for Lamont Evans, a former Oklahoma State assistant coach who was hired on Brad Underwood's coaching staff initially. Brad Underwood left for Illinois, and Mike Boynton, now OSU's head coach, hired him to be essentially his his number two guy, his top assistant coach. And what the NCAA alleges and, and what the FBI found in federal court was 
that Lamont Evans was lining his own pockets with bribe money by steering players who he had influence over uh, to certain financial advisors. And I think the, the amount that Lamont Evans benefited from was roughly around $20,000. And the NCAA found that it was a level one violation, which is the most harsh in the NCAA rule book. And so they came at him hard. It was just one level one violation, but uh, you mentioned it. They hit, they were hit with a postseason ban. They're going to lose three scholarships over the next three years. They have to pay a fine. They have to pay a percentage of their total budget, and uh, it's just uh, it's a devastating blow for Oklahoma State. Yeah, so always. Um, go ahead, Josh. So sorry, Kyle. Uh, everyone on the show knows I'm a. Uh, I'm on vacation right now, so I'm actually in the airport. If you hear some background noise, that's uh, probably the speaker talking. Humble but, brag. Uh, All right. I see you. <laughs> uh, so uh, kind of looking at this, OSU had a lot of momentum going uh, yeah. leading up to this. How does this uh, hurt them moving forward, and what's that going to do to the program? It certainly stunts the momentum. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, you look at Mike Boynton's kind of trajectory at Oklahoma State. The first year he took over – you know, they, I think they were probably snubbed from the NCAA tournament. I think they were an NCAA tournament quality team. Uh, With an this, Oklahoma. Yeah. And so you're going into this year thinking, okay, Boynton hasn't made it over the hump just yet, but he's bringing in Kate Cunningham. They're bringing back Isaac Likely. They're bringing back URNA. They're bringing back Caleb and Keelan Boone. So you feel good about what they – not only what they accomplished this past season and, and what they're – bringing back moving forward that next season could really be the year that they get over the hump. You know, now I think this really kind of throws a wrench into, into pretty much everything. Uh, Isaac likely has been already reached out to by a number of programs. I would imagine he stays, um, but you know, it's possible that you know, there's a postseason ban. Some of these players, they want to go elsewhere. So you're trying to deal with that. You're trying to deal with retaining your current recruits and your commits um, chief among them is Cade Cunningham, who is the number one overall recruit in the 2020 class. People think he's going to be the number one draft pick in 2021. And with all this up in the air, you have to think that Cade Cunningham, at the very least, is going to reconsider his options. And I think it's important to note that Cade's older brother, Kanan, is on Oklahoma State staff. So maybe he just decides, you know what, it's okay that they're not going to play in the postseason. Uh, I can still play with my brother. I really like Mike Boynton. You know, I think that's probably the optimistic way to look at it. But in reality, you have to think that this plays some role in perhaps his final decision. So all of that being said, you know, there's so many different factors in place and there's a lot of uncertainty as opposed to a lot of momentum, a lot of optimism surrounding the program. So uh, we see this happen in the NCAA, you know, somewhat I don't want to say often, but more than I'd like to see uh, players and coaches um, and completely new regimes at universities mm -hmm. being punished for, for um, actions of past coaches. And this may be the worst case of that in, that we've ever seen. Uh, that being said, how confident is Mike Boynton in the appeal process? I don't know if they're very confident. Um, yeah, I think they're optimistic just, just because they feel uh, truly that they were completely wronged. They feel this was um, an egregious overstep from the NCAA and you know I they don't have much control you look at kind of the NCAA statistics on appeals and it's it's not super optimistic for Oklahoma State I think probably less than 30 percent of appeals end up winning and you're appealing a postseason ban uh, which which is significant and the timeline for for this process typically takes roughly 110 days um, so assuming that Oklahoma State files its appeal, let's say on June 20th, which is the final day they can apply for the appeal, you're looking at, you know, basically like less than a month from the time OSU will realistically get a decision back from the NCAA and the start of the 2020 season. So they're working on a really tight timeline. And again, I think, I think OSU is optimistic just because they feel that Hopefully this will be adjudicated and uh, justice will win out because they, they, they generally feel like this is, this is just a wrong decision and they were in the wrong, um, you know, but on the same token, I, I think if you look at the kind of the big picture of all this, uh, the NCAA is trying to set a precedent with other, uh, with other cases from the FBI scandal 
and this is obviously just the first domino. So I would I would be surprised actually if they come back and say, hey, you know, we're gonna, we're going to take it a little bit more lenient with you, and uh, we're going to lessen this penalty. But we'll see. I guess the the process will play out as it will. Um, but yeah, ho- hopefully, I think Oklahoma State's hoping that they'll get a decision sooner rather than later, so they can have a little bit more clarity. So you talked about, uh, you know, setting a precedent and what this means. So obviously we know that uh, FBI investigations are ongoing and programs are, are getting looked at for these kind of scandals. So what does this mean for teams or programs like Kansas and uh, not Kansas, so like Louisville and other teams that are, so, that are being investigated? So, yeah, like Kansas, they uh, so Oklahoma State, you said they had one level one charge. Kansas yep. had five level one charges. Yep. Um, so like you said, they may uh, lessen this penalty for Oklahoma State. Um, and I think if they don't, this could lead to a death penalty from Kansas. Would you agree? I I don't think that the NCAA will give a death penalty to anyone, uh, and especially Kansas. But I do think it's bad news for Kansas. It's bad news for, you know, Louisville. It's bad news for Arizona. It's bad for a ton of programs that were ensnared in the FBI scandal. I don't think there's any question. When you look at what Oklahoma State is alleged to have committed, essentially it's a – Oklahoma State is painting them out to be a rogue actor. Lamont Evans was a rogue actor. He was acting alone. Oklahoma State did not benefit competitively from his actions. And in the case of Kansas, you're talking about five level one violations, one a university uh, charge, one a head coach responsibility charge against Bill Self, one a recruiting violation from Curtis Townsend, uh, one of Bill Self's top top assistants, and so, yeah, I, th- I think it could be really bad. And, you know, I, I, I guess we'll wait to find out exactly how bad because the two cases could not be more different. Oklahoma State really kind of cooperated with the NCAA, worked hand-in-hand with this investigation. Kansas, meanwhile, is denying, denying, denying on every single front. They're denying that Self had anything to do with it. They're denying that Curtis Townsend had anything to do with it. They're denying – that there was a lack of oversight. They're denying they cheated at all. And typically in the NCAA's eyes, um, it's, it's, at least historically, it's been more challenging for the NCAA to divvy out punishment for programs who just simply deny and take that approach. You look at uh, North Carolina in the academic scandal, you know, that dragged on for years and years and years. North Carolina denied, 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 and they ended up winning that case. So, you know, it's possible that a different approach uh, warrants a different decision from the NCAA. I would be a little bit dubious of that just because I think it's pretty clear the evidence that the NCAA has against Kansas. But, yeah, I, I think overall, if you look at kind of the big picture, uh, this sets a precedent for, for some of the other programs who were clearly uh, more egregious in their actions to, to really be hit hard with, with postseason bans, uh, with probably coach suspensions, and uh, some recruiting uh, restrictions. There's going to be a ton of penalties handed out in the in the in the midst of all this. So uh, once again, joining us, we have Kyle Boone, contributor with CBS, uh, uh, college basketball writer and NBA writer. So another thing that you know we kind of talked about how this was going to stunt the growth and stop the momentum for OSU's program moving forward. But what does this mean for them moving forward? How do they go about coming back from this if their appeal is not successful? Yeah, that's going to be a tough part. Uh, you know, I think right now they're just kind of taking it one day at a time. They're still trying to figure out exactly the penalties and, and how they're being divvied out. It, it sounds like, based off kind of what I've gathered, Oklahoma State thinks it's three scholarship losses per year. Uh, the NCAA's own lingo thinks that it's three – the way I interpret it, it's three scholarships lost total. Um, that's a huge difference because three per year is essentially kind of like you're, you're starting your program from scratch. It's not the death penalty, but it's darn close. Um, so I think Oklahoma State's really trying to get a grasp of the full picture of the penalties first off. Uh, for Mike Boynton, though, I, I think it's all about retention. He wants to try and retain as many players as he can. He knows that Isaac likely would be a hot commodity if he were to decide to transfer uh, same with URNA and and a number of players on this roster, and then it, and same with the same with the recruits too. I think you know probably Boynton's sole focus right now is making sure that either Cade Cunningham comes to Oklahoma State or that he has the best tools at his disposal to make that decision, whether he wants to go to the G League, 
or play overseas or decide that he wants to get out of his letter of intent and transfer elsewhere. So that's probably first and foremost. Uh, it, it doesn't sound like we'll get real clarity on this situation you know, anytime soon just because the appeals process typically takes several months. Um, but, yeah, I, I think right now it's all about retention and hoping that you know, at least some of this momentum is retained just with the current roster that you have in place and the incoming recruits that Oklahoma State has. Uh, so what would you put the percentage chance that we see Cade in an Oklahoma State jersey this fall? I'd say 51%. I think okay. it's more likely than not right now that he comes to Oklahoma State. And now the tough question, uh, what percent chance would you put his appeal to go through in time and we see Cade in an Oklahoma State jersey in the NCAA tournament? Ooh, um, I would say also 51%. I think Ooh, Oklahoma I love State, it. I think they have a real shot to win this appeal. Now, I, I, I kind of set this up with a ton of caveats saying that the appeals process isn't necessarily favorable for anyone, much less Oklahoma State, but the, the details of this case specifically are pretty black and white to me. It's a matter of how the appeals committee views Lamont Evans and if Oklahoma State can paint the picture that they did not benefit in any way competitively from Lamont Evans lining his pockets with bribery money then I think they have a real shot to win this appeal so um, yeah I think that that's obviously what they're going to do that's what they tried to do the first time but this is a different committee these are different viewpoints and hopefully this appeals committee will see that hey you know Maybe, maybe this was a slight overreach. This was an oversight. Um, we're going to find you, you know, because I think Oklahoma State would just say, okay, we'll pay you a million bucks. Just make this go away. They'd pay a fine. I think they'd be happy with that. But uh, the, obviously the big, the big concern is, number one, the postseason ban. Can they get it to pushed either to 2022 or just get it completely suspended? Or, and, and I think this is an addition to, can they get their scholarship reductions completely nixed? Because, you know, you're, you're talking about three scholarships is not insignificant, especially on a, on a basketball team where you really only get 12 scholarships and, and depth is really, really vital at the college level, as opposed to uh, the NBA level where you've got a 15 man bench and you've got room to work. Uh, that that's a, that's a significant part of this appeals process as well. And so, We'll wait to see kind of how this plays out. But, you know, I, I think if Oklahoma State can win the appeal and they can, they can kind of win over the appeals committee in seeing how Lamont Evans worked and how Oklahoma State really did not benefit, then I think they have a real shot to win this. So kind of going off of that, what is the chances? Uh, you kind of said 51%. We see him in Oklahoma State jersey. So what are the chances we see him in any college jersey versus going to the G League where he could make $250,000? I think if he goes to college, he'll go to Oklahoma State. Mm. Um, if he doesn't, I think he could sign with the G League. But I, I think probably it's more likely than not that he goes to college. Um, so 51% OSU, 49% G League. <laughs> I, I, think, I think he could go overseas too. Um, it, yeah. it sounds like it sounds like he probably has other options just in case. Um, and I still feel like Oklahoma State's probably the leader here, but it wouldn't be surprised if if he decided to go overseas. I, I think there's real money to be had there, but um, I don't I don't think it's necessarily about money. I think it's about just the development, the coaching that he's going to get next season. Just because you know we we talked about it earlier, um, he he's one of the top prospects in all of basketball. Period. Yeah. He's, he's a six foot six point guard who can run the floor and he can shoot it. And he can play defense at a high level. So uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the NBL would be an interesting option um, just because, you know, you saw last season, LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton played overseas in the NBL and are probably going to be lottery picks this year. LaMelo Ball could go number one overall. So, you know, I think all options are on the table. I don't, I don't uh, feel particularly good predicting right now one way or another, but I think Oklahoma State uh, should feel at least better than better better than expected, uh, given the circumstances. Just because uh, they have, you know, obviously his older brothers on the staff. That's good to hear. Uh, like you said, you could work around the scholarship restrictions and yeah. uh, fines, but the postseason ban definitely carries the most weight. 
how much of this is the NCAA handing down the suspension um, because of everything surrounding Kate Cunningham this coming year and the potential success in the upcoming season? Say that again. Well, how much of this um, is kind of timing from the NCAA handing down the suspension um, before the potential success from Cade this coming season? How much is it, like how, how big of a factor is it? Or Yeah, kind of like the timing of it. Yeah, the timing is brutal, um, for sure. You know, I think if, if this decision was announced like in August, it would be kind of all hands on deck for Oklahoma State. You know, at, at least right now, they can file an appeal before June, June 20th. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully, I think reasonably, they can expect that their appeal decision will be delivered before the college basketball season. Uh, that being said, I combed over the NCAA rule book, and their, their timeline officially is 110 days, which would make it before the college basketball season. But they give themselves a pretty clear out, saying that if the case is any complex at all, that they can extend that timeline. So it's possible the NCAA just drags its feet and decides, you know what, let's take 210 days instead. And then you're looking at, okay, this is, this is really bad. Um, if, if that's the case, or if the NCAA, you know, comes back quickly and says, nope, we decided uh, this is, this is uh, we're going to uphold the penalties and you got to serve a postseason ban. I think Oklahoma State would potentially take the NCAA to court. I, I, I think that yeah. uh, there's so much at stake here that OSU feels that it has compiled enough evidence that, um, that overwhelmingly shows that Oklahoma State should not be punished in the way that it was. So right. it, would be a, it would be a really fascinating uh, situation that would play out if that were to happen. And I think if, if a postseason ban isn't lifted for 2021 – uh, that could be a possible scenario that plays out. So I guess kind of a better way for me to phrase that, if yeah. Cade would have chosen, um, for example, Texas, yeah. does this uh, suspension, does the punishment come down now to Oklahoma State, and is it as serious? Um, I don't know. I, I think you could kind of play that game. I guess what I want to know is how is Kansas mm. because, you know, Oklahoma State – Mike Holder, the athletic director on Friday, talked a little bit about uh, the, the punishment not fitting the crime and, and saying essentially, like, if Oklahoma State's going to get this severe punishment, we want to see how the rest of the programs involved in this bribery scandal are punished. And, and we want to make sure that they are uniformly applied because, uh, uh, you know, it, it's possible that Oklahoma State gets, hard, gets hit harder and more unfairly than, than the Kansases, the, mm -hmm. the LSUs, the Louisvilles, the Arizonas. And if that's the case, then, uh, yeah, I, again, I think that they have more ammo, more reason to be upset about it. And, you know, maybe if this is Kansas, we're talking about, uh, you know, either a delayed decision or, you know, something less severe. I, I guess we'll wait to see. Um, but I do think that this is kind of new territory for the NCAA because, this is Oklahoma State is the first program to be formally uh, punished mm -hmm. from the from the FBI scandal, and uh, so you know I think you can throw kind of the old precedent out the window. They're setting a new precedent here with uh, with the bribery scandal and and for some of the other programs that were involved. Yeah, and the argument can be made that they're getting hit the hardest just because they are first ones to start receiving the new precedent, yeah. making a NCAA making a statement on this. So it's, it's, it's very unfortunate for OSU. Uh, Kyle, we're going to move to the last question here. Once again, we have Kyle Boone, contributor, CBS Sports, uh, NCAA basketball, and NBA writer. Um, so, Kyle, obviously you've had some time to uh, spend with CBS and spend covering sports. What has been your favorite moment to cover since you started working in, with CBS? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I can't say – Definite favorite. Um, I think certainly my most memorable was lottery night last year. Uh, they had, so they have the lottery and the combine combined in uh, Chicago every year. This year, I don't know if it'll be in Chicago, but yeah, last year it was crazy because obviously the Pelicans ended up winning the lottery despite, you know, the Knicks having great odds to win it. The, um, I think the Bulls had really good odds to win it. And the Pelicans, who I think had like the 11th or 12th best odds, 
won the lottery and essentially won the Zion Williamson sweepstakes. So being in that room when they announced the results, I was standing right behind uh, Gar Foreman, who was the Bulls GM. And, you know, the whole room is full of like NBA executives. And so like seeing that decision announced in real time with like some of the NBA brass was, was kind of crazy because it was a shocking moment to see like those results be announced in real time. And like the star power in that room, you know, with, with Patrick Ewing there on the, on the stage and like, you know, all these different players was, uh, was pretty surreal. And, you know, it just, it makes you count your blessings with your job. Just like, it's such a cool moment. Man, that sounds incredible. Yeah. Kyle, we uh, really appreciate it, man. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, man. I actually, I actually have an idea for you to uh, come back on. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with the show. We do something called Totem Pole. Uh, we okay. Things top three, bottom two. And I just thought of this mid-interview, Totem Pole of our favorite col- – or Totem Pole of college basketball players all time. Oh. Top three, bottom two. Okay. I like that. Yeah, we'll uh, have to do that. Yep. Start thinking. We'll, we'll be in touch. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds hey, good, Kyle. Man. Appreciate it, man. It's good to talk to you, bud. Yeah, you too, Josh. Take care, buddy. All right. See ya. That was a really fun interview with Kyle. Can't wait to have him back on, uh, especially that Totem Pole. So really look forward to that. Really look forward to seeing hopefully Kate Cunningham and the Cowboys uh, this March in the postseason tournament in the NCAA March Madness. Uh, Josh, the fire is crackling. I don't know if you can hear it. The cigar is lit. Let's get into the degenerates den. We've got live PGA Tour golf Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Dallas, Colonial Country Club, Charles Schwab Challenge. I'm fired up. And you should be. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. Go ahead. This is the first sports that we have. First, well, first major uh, live sports that we have bringing us together. Give us something to bet on and give us something to watch all weekend. Definitely. Yeah. We, we said it last week, you know, we're ready for some live sports to come on, some American television, you know, an American sporting event to come on. And we, we're finally getting it. And, uh, you know, with everything going on, uh, even the PGA commissioner said that he's going to take this moment to really, you know, be a uniting force for America. I mean, you saw NASCAR do something uh, to the same sense this past week. And, you know, those are, these are the two, uh, maybe the two most unlikely candidates to be kicking things off, especially with, the, uh, with everything going on the past couple of weeks, the PGA Tour and NASCAR. But, you know, this is the world we live in, Josh, COVID-19. So we're here. Absolutely, we're here. And I couldn't be more excited in the fact that they are, uh, you know, being as active as they are and getting us something to, to watch, get us something to bring us together and tweet about all weekend. Yep, you know I'm going to be tuned in, Josh, as much as I can while I can sneak away from work. So three prop bets, guys, you need to be looking out for. Bryson DeChambeau to make the top 10 plus 275. Bryson DeChambeau has been in Dallas this entire time. He's been working out. He's big and he, – I think he's put on, I think, 35 pounds of muscle since the last major tournament. So Bryson's strong. Bryson hit ball far. Bryson's a robot, and Bryson will hit that ball very far. He has four top tens in his last five starts. Bang, Bryson in the top ten plus 275. So the next one, Josh, Justin Thomas to win, five to one. So I'm going to give you the winner out now. Five to one, Justin Thomas. He's, what, the number two player in the world? Uh, No, I think he's the number four player in the world right now. Um, He's the number four player in the world. Uh, Obviously, he's going to be paired up with Jordan Spieth and – Ricky Fowler. So getting the spring break boys back together again. Uh, Justin Thomas obviously came out and said that he's not going to be mic'd. He said that the conversations he has between uh, him and his caddy will stay between him and his caddy. So boo. So I didn't like that. Uh, But like I said, Justin Thomas to win. I'm feeling really confident about that. And last but not least, the first round leader. This is a dark horse. Jordan Spieth, 45 to one. So uh, Jordan Spieth, you know, obviously he had those two major championships. Uh, in the past five years, I think. But since then, I mean, he hasn't – he's kind of fallen off. I don't want to say he's become like the Smiley Kaufman like the four-play boys did. But, uh, you know, he has, he has somewhat fallen off comparatively to his boy, Justin Thomas, who is just dominating the sports world. But, like I said, that, that, uh, that group on Thursday, Friday, Josh, the Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth grouping is going to be fun to watch. And also, this is a really, really fun to watch right here, Josh. Rory McIlroy is going to be in a group with Brooks Kepka and John Rahm on Thursday and Friday. And you know that Rory and, John, uh, Rory and Brooks had those comments at the beginning of this year 
about who was really the number one player in the world. And Brooks said something like, you know, Rory hasn't won a major since I've been on tour, something like that. So when, uh, so with the takes and the degenerates, then uh, Brooks Koepka is actually my favorite to win the tournament. Mm. Um, so, so I'm, I'm actually going for Brooks in this. So I love the trash talk and boo Justin Thomas for not letting us uh, mic him up and get to hear the things that he has to say. But I'm all for drama between Rory and Brooks. I, I want every piece of it. Let's let's mic Rory up. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Rory would be good. I think especially in that Thursday-Friday group, he would be really good with Brooks. But, I mean, come on, Justin Thomas. This, this is what we've all been clamoring for since you put out that video like seven years ago. Like, just put out a full round of the Spring Break Boys and let us enjoy it in, in its entirety and it's like in its realness. Let us, let us in, Justin. And actually, you know, someone who I think would be more fun than Rory from that group, Micah Brom. I want to hear like what if you're on a if you're the third no, wheel on a date and you're awkward. I want to hear some some comments that he's got about what the hell is going on between those two. No, you don't. John Rom is a crazy person. That man might as bro. That man has some wires up in his head that are loose, and he might kill someone. I think. I think. I think. I, I don't want to say he's going to commit murder. I think on the golf course he could kill someone by the end of this year by either just throwing a club physically murdering someone uh, something he will kill someone happy gilmore made great tv well josh like i said i'm really looking forward to it i uh, had a lot of fun today just put out the fire in the degenerates den so i'm gonna go hop in bed now uh look forward to talking to you on friday josh hope you have a wonderful rest of your week or middle of your week i should say Absolutely. Same to you. Uh, it's always great spending time with the Degenerates Den. I uh, got to take the robe off, get ready to, uh, to edit this and get laying down. And uh, I will look forward to talking to you on Friday. And it, we had a lot of fun in this episode. I love having Kyle on. Uh, being able to talk with him is always a, a great thing. So I'll talk to you later, man. Yep.